Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is June 14th, 2023. We continue our series, Words for Life, and today's word is religious. Have you simply gone through the motions of Christianity? Have you allowed the practice of your faith to isolate yourself or push others away from you? Does the practice of going to church keep us from being people who are the church? Yes, when we're using our word for the day, religious, these are questions we really have to examine. And look at, you know, the primary role of the church is to be God's redemptive agent in redeeming this planet. And it's crucial that the church not take a don't touch me or don't touch attitude when it comes to being that light in this dark world. And many times that word religious, you know, when I just say it, it just puts a little shiver down my back religious it doesn't even it doesn't even sound nice but today we're going to talk about religious and it's a word that we need because we need to know it because it is something that has this keep away unclean type of mentality that doesn't want to interact with the world or with people in the world So with that, let's look at our lectionary readings for today. We're going to begin with Hosea chapter 5, verses 15, and it will continue to chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So we begin, Hosea. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Come, and let us return to the Lord. For he is torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like a, the rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by my prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings." Now, Hosea is always a tough book to begin with. And we 
Again, let's put Scripture in context. The book of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet, and God called him, and his whole life was to be a symbolism of what the nation of Israel, God's people, had did to God. And he called Hosea to this. And he told Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer, and she was a prostitute. And she was unfaithful to him. He had children by her. They were unfaithful. And is a big mess. And Gomer and the children's lives are completely destroyed through their prostitution and lifestyle. And at the end, Hosea comes and he finds them. And Gomer returns and, and he cleans her up and he takes her back in and he heals her up and it's it, the whole thing is a message of what God is going to do to his people that they will cheat on him they will prostitute themselves out and just as they're getting thrown out into the garbage by the world at the end God would come in and would forgive them and would heal them and restore them and that was Hosea's life now I know that that's a tough one because no one would want to willingly choose that, but God did that because he wanted people to see what he sees. So we read this portion of scripture, and God wants us to know that the people here, the people of God, they've forgotten what it means to love God, and they forgot what it means to love others. That they're simply just going through the motion. And we, we pick up with that, that verse and the Lord's telling them to return, return to the Lord that he can heal those who are stricken, he can bind up. And it's sort of a messianic prophecy about the on the third day he will raise us up and this thing about Jesus coming out of the grave in three days. But it says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. What is the knowledge of the Lord? You know, the, it says in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And this is exactly what God's people have done in the book of Hosea. Is they have no fear of the Lord. They have no respect, no awe. And they've prostituted themselves out. They've sold themselves out to others. And so the Lord says, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? Judah, what shall I do to you? And of course, he's talking to these people in the land of Ephraim, the land of Judah. Of course, these are places within the nation of Israel, nation of Judah. These are his people. And he says, he continues, says, For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. So here's the Lord saying, Oh, you're faithful now. You're pursuing me now, but that last like a morning cloud, like the dew. It's, it's here, but then as soon as the sun comes up, it's gone. As soon as the heat comes on, it's gone. The Lord says, I've hewn you by the prophets. And of course, to be hewn is to be um, hedged in, to be, to be, to be, to be cut. Um, the, the prophets have said things that have tried to fence you in, but the, it's, it's also like it, it cuts you. The words cut you. The truth has hurt you. He goes on and says, I have slain them. By the words of my mouth, 
and your judgments are like the light that goes forth. See, this is the Lord speaking that his, 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 his words, he's, he's slain those that have not been faithful. His judgments is the light going forth in the darkness. And then he finally says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And that's sort of a, a famous line that, that comes out of the book of Hosea. God saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so what is the, the sacrifice? Of course, at this time, the people had a, had a worship system where they would make sacrifices. They would make offerings by fire. It's called burnt offerings. And the Lord, when he's saying, I desire mercy, he's going after the character of the people. Knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. In other words, these people were more concerned with their religious duties, how they were going to, you know, do their religious activities, the, the sacrifice, they'd have to, you know, pick out the animal and they'd, they'd go do it. And it, I've met people in, in, in my ministry and, and in life that they think that because they go to church and they gave money to charities, they give money to the church, that that makes up for their lifestyle. It's like they think, well, I can go out and I can be evil because I gave a lot of money to the church. Or I, I went to church and I participated in mass or communion or, hey, I was baptized. And, and they think that that religious activity has excused them to live however they want to live. And God's like, no, I, I desire mercy. In other words, he wants you to, to, to care uh, about others the way he cares about others. He cares more about your knowledge of God and others, your fear, your respect, your, your, your relationship with him is more of his desire than your system of worship. So it's not about some sort of a system of worship, but participating with them. And notice if we go up to the very beginning about returning to the Lord to seek his face, they will honestly seek seek me. That's in verse 15. That's where we started. See, God's much more interested in our sincere repentance. When I say sincere, is is that we understand we need to depend upon God. By doing this, it results in a life that's of humility, a life of humility, and 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 then because we're we're humble, we we we're very thankful with God's mercy, and we're willing to show mercy because it's been given to us. But instead, religious is that word religious? That religion, being religious, it steals because it makes us more concerned about a system, a form of worship, and we no longer care about others. It's about well, I did my thing correctly. That's good enough. Let's continue reading from the lectionary, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. And now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. 
But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And again, we see in Matthew a reference to the book of Hosea that we just read. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So we have a tie-in, we have context. Because when Jesus quoted this, he's tying it into the context of Hosea. But we see that Jesus is dealing with religious people. That's really what this passage is about. And he's also dealing with non-religious people. This is when he calls Matthew, the guy that wrote the book of Matthew. One of the original 12 apostles, Matthew. But Matthew at this point is a tax collector. And there have been many movies made about the life of Jesus. There's one popular one right now called The Chosen. And and Matthew's a really popular choice. They, they've given him sort of a, a little autistic. Like maybe he's, he's got some autism. And it's really appealing for people like that. And that's, and that's fine. Um, it's just creative liberty. We don't know what Matthew was like in that aspect. But I, I recently heard from some, some, some teachers about archaeological evidence and, and cultural uh, anthropologists. And you see, Matthew, being a tax collector, yes, he was Jewish, but he was considered a traitor. He worked for the Romans. And he had no place in Jewish society. Jews would not accept him because he was a traitor working with Romans. His family would disown him. And these tax collectors, yes, they would pocket money off the top in collecting taxes. As long as they gave Caesar what Caesar wanted, they could tax at a higher rate and take the extra. They were allowed to do that. And they had the full backing of the Roman army to enforce their decisions. And so many of these tax collectors were very greedy. They were very worldly. Many of them, even though they were Jewish, adopted Roman culture and Roman worship. They would have idols, and they were just in the same paganism. They had lavishness lifestyles. They they were not little good Jews going to synagogues because they were pretty much cast out from that. They, They couldn't go back. They were with the traitors. They were traitors. They were with the Romans. And so when Jesus comes along and sees Matthew and says, follow me, he offered something to Matthew that Matthew didn't have any option on. That was a second chance. That was a way out of his lifestyle. It was a way back to the God that he was raised with. It was a really foreign idea. But one that when it was offered to Matthew, he jumped at it. See, sometimes people are lost and they look like they're living these terrible lifestyles, but they begin to realize deep down they're trapped and it's not really what they want, but they don't see any way out. And it's this religiousness, this religious spirit that if we allow it to grip us, we can't be a light to people. See, and that's what that's what happened to the Pharisees. See, they see Jesus and he's offered Matthew the second chance. And what happens is other tax collectors, other sinners find out and they they would like a second chance. And and so they come to meet with him. And the Pharisees see this and they're jealous. They become jealous. And 
They're like, why are you with these people? They're unclean. They've done bad things. But you see, they're really jealous because they want to know, well, why didn't you choose me? I'm better than them. Jesus, why didn't you, you choose me? And then Jesus quotes to them that it's the sick who need a physician. It's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. And at first, you can read that and think, well, you know, the, the Pharisees are well. They, they're, they're, you know, these religious people, they, they, they're doing the right thing. They don't need Jesus. But they're sick too. They just don't know it. See, they're pointing the finger at them, and Jesus said, well, yeah, of course they're sinners. They need me because they are. But then he goes, but go and learn what this means. So he's telling Pharisees, you need to go learn something. You don't know what you're talking about. And then he quotes to them from Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, he's telling the Pharisees that they are just like the the, the people, God's people from Hosea. In other words, they're like a prostitute. They have sold themselves out to something else. And they think that because they do their religious services, because they, they walk the right way and they, they practice a certain thing, that that's good enough. And Jesus here is saying, no, you, you go and learn this. I desire mercy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because Jesus is interested in seeing those that are lost in sin and darkness to come home. And that they, if they, if they were truly seeking his face, if they truly had knowledge of God, that they would be humble and they'd be merciful and they would be celebrating with him that these, these, these poor sinners are responding to him. They should be celebrating if they, if they were truly in a good relationship with him. But you see, they're not. And because they're not, they've deceived themselves into thinking they're better when they're really just the same. They're, they're, they're just as bad as sinners as these other guys. They just dress, they just make, they, they're the dressing on the outside. They just make it look better. But it's, it's the same thing. Now let's look at our last scripture in Romans. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not, which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, 
and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was del- who was delivered up because of our offenses, and was raised for our justification. Now, I know that was a little longer scripture. Got a little tongue-tied there getting through it because it's got some complicated things. But here we see the Apostle Paul, he's the one that wrote Romans, and he's reflecting upon the life of Abraham and Sarah. And he's contemplating their righteousness. But but why? Why? Why does this have to do with religious? Well, you know, Abraham, he, he lied. Lied a couple times. And Sarah, Sarah laughed. She laughed at God for some of the things he said. They weren't perfect people. But one of the things that Paul is reflecting upon is they might not have been perfect people, but they trusted God. They, they trusted and they, their lives acted in accordance with that trust. In other words, they weren't simply just reciting some words and they weren't just simply doing some religious service. They weren't just going through the motions, their very lives reflected what they believed. You know, one of the things that Abraham did was he began this, this circumcision. And the, his children became known as Hebrews. And they were circumcised. And of course, later with the Jews, this, this idea of circumcision. If you don't know what circumcision is, please Google it, because I'm not going to talk about that per se right now, but I I will say that for the longest time, if you want to know who a Jew was, all you had to, a Jewish man, all you had to do was look because no Gentile man would want to do that to themselves. And it was a very outward sign. You know, during, during World War II, all the Germans had to do when they wanted to round up Jewish men, Jewish families was, you know, just take a look. Just take a look, and then they can get their wife, their kids, their parents, their brothers, their sisters. Because according to Nazis, they're all Jews, and they just, they just ran them all up. And so it wasn't something that could be hidden. It wasn't something that could be hidden. Our faith is not something that should be hidden. It should be in view. And, and Paul reflects upon this because it was Abraham's faith. It was his faith that guided how he lived his life. And it was that faith that God said, that makes you righteous because you believe in me. It, I will accredit that to you as righteousness. You know, God doesn't expect you or I to be perfect. He understands we're humans and we're going to have our, our failures. And likewise, he's not expecting us to perform perfect rituals. He's not expecting some perfect practice of religion. 
But being religious is something that's a product of the fall. It's what happens when we try to do something to make ourselves right. And in the end, all of us humans, we want to be right with God. Now, some of us may be saying, well, no, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in that. But you believe in something. Everyone believes in something, and it all shows. And and most people, once they form a belief, they, they will form a religious practice to go with it. You know, I even laugh. Oh, atheism is a religion. Oh, they don't they don't have a quote God, but they 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 have an idol in atheism that they worship, and they have a practice of that worship. They can deny it all they want to. You know, the idea that they're going to worship humanity, worship themselves. You know, worship worship at the altar of silence. They 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 have the thing that they worship, and they they put together this religious ritual that goes with it, and that that religious ritual ritual it hurts people. It, it, all religious ritual seems to, at some point, hurts people. God is wanting relationship with us, that faith, that humility to come before Him, to just acknowledge our dependence. You know, when we when we acknowledge our dependence upon God, it, it, it kills our pride. It kills our prideful efforts. And see, religious, being religious, it involves prideful efforts. See, we don't need to fear the dirt of the world. We don't need to fear the sin of the world. Jesus has, has paid for those things. Um, because we don't need to fear, we don't need to fear God. You know, I mean, we can fear God like the the fear of the Lord, the reverence, awe of Him. But the idea of we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of the world getting me dirty because Jesus has saved me. He's cleansed me. And now it's my turn to offer mercy. Mercy to people in the world. It doesn't mean that we condone sin and it doesn't mean we participate in sin. But it means that we can love people and offer them the way out the same way we have been offered a way out. It means that we can depend upon God's power. God is the one who frees us. God is the one who changes us. God is the one who cleanses us. God is the one that's the power. And we should share that power. We should share the love and mercy of God to others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, God. Lord, I thank you that you're sharing us with the word religious, God. Father, I pray, God, that we would break away from our own efforts, God, our own practices, God, instead that we would come to the the simple relationship of knowing you, God, of loving you, God, and of learning to love others in the world, God. Help us to desire mercy, God, and not sacrifice. God, we thank you, God, for what it is you're doing in our lives, Lord. Father, move in this dark world, God. Save loved ones. Save the people we know that are trapped in and, and, and strongholds and habits is destroying their lives, God. Lord, we ask you to move with that in Jesus' name. We thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can catch up on other lessons at our website at www.christianimpact.net. You can also check out things about our ministry. Check out our school of ministry. If you feel called or want training, check, out, check that out. Drop us a line. And until next time, God bless. <music>